1: From beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Guide pose for the hall of pure bliss. By seeking appearances and sounds, one cannot truly find the way. The deep source of realization comes with constancy, bliss, self, and purity. Its purity is constant its bliss is myself the two are mutually dependent like firewood and fire the self's bliss is not exhausted constant purity has no end deep existence is beyond forms wisdom illuminates the inside of the circle inside the circle the self vanishes neither existent nor non-existent intimately conveying spiritual energy it subtly turns the mysterious Pivot when the mysterious pivot finds opportunity to turn the original light auspiciously appears when the mind's conditioning has not yet sprouted how can words and images be distinguished who is it that can distinguish them clearly understand and know by yourself whole and inclusive with inherent insight it is not concerned with discriminative thought when discriminating thought is not involved it is like white reed flowers shining in the snow one beam of light's gleam permeates the vastness the gleam permeates through all directions from the beginning not covered or concealed catching the opportunity to emerge amid transformations it flourishes following appropriately amid transformations the pure bliss is unchanged the sky encompasses the ocean seals it every moment without deficiency in the achievement without deficiency inside and outside are interfused all dharmas transcend their limits all gates are wide open through the open gates are the byways of playful wandering dropping off senses and sense objects is like the flowers of our gazing and listening falling away Gazing and listening are only distant conditions of thousands of hands and eyes. The others die from being too busy, but I maintain continuity. In the wonder of continuity are no traces of subtle identifications. Within purity is bliss, within silence is illumination. The house of silent illumination is the hall of pure bliss. Dwelling in peace and forgetting hardship, let go of adornments and become genuine. The motto for becoming genuine, nothing is gained by speaking. The goodness of Malakirti enters the gate of non-duality. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the guidepost for the hall of pure bliss. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher, Maha Prajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher, Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher, Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher, Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom, Bodhisattva Mandir <coughs> To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time. All Honored Ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, Wisdom Beyond Wisdom, Mahaprajna
2: Tonight's talk will be by Dylan, uh, and so they may take it away whenever they're ready. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'll start with a couple of uh, acknowledgements. First, uh,
3: today, I honor and uplift that this territory is home to the original stewards and guardians of Chicagoland, the Miami, ocechi Kickapoo, Peoria, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. The Alliance of the Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations is known as the Council of Three Fires first formed in the year 796 of the Common Era at Michimikinac, also known as Mackinac Island in Michigan. These peoples did and do still exist. I thank them for their continuing leadership. Without their committed stewardship, we would not be enjoying this place today.
2: And today I recognize and acknowledge the enslaved Africans who
3: have lived, been subjugated to free labor and toiled the grounds where many temples have been built and resurrected.
2: And uh, today I remember
3: and uplift the hundreds of thousands of people when we have lost to coronavirus in 2020 and 2021. I remember their families and the impact on the lives of their family members, the economic damage to individuals and institutions, and the amount of deaths that could have and can be prevented. The future generations are depending on us to study the dimensions of this tragedy and act accordingly.
2: So uh my, my strategy
3: for uh giving this talk is giving the talk that I think I would like to hear <laughs> when when I was asked to give this, I, I just started thinking of what's the Dharma talk that I need to hear right now. So I'm gonna talk uh
2: I'm going to talk about discipline and relaxation tonight, uh, how they're intertwined in our practice. I feel that um, sometimes there's a, a deep feeling that In order to be worth anything, that there's something we have to do,
3: sometimes this feeling rises up in me that I have to do something in order to prove to myself that I'm worth being around or worth um,
2: this existence. Just a couple of examples, you know, of, of varying degrees of uh, uh, seriousness. I guess, um, you know, I'm going to repaint the bedroom. I'm going to get a new job. Uh, I'm going to go to law school. I'm gonna I'm going to start a relationship with this person
3: there's always, uh, there's, there's persistently this feeling that if I could, if I could get this thing,
2: that then I would be satisfied that when this
3: thing happens, that then I would be happy. I'm currently unhappy or happiness is fleeting, but there's this thing over here that's over this hill. And if I could just get over this hill and just, get that thing. If I could just get the bathroom painted or get the, yeah, the bedroom painted, if I got into law school, if I
2: got this new job, if this person went on a date with me, if this, uh, if this event happened, then finally, uh, satisfaction would happen. Um, and, I wouldn't feel like I'd have to do something to prove to myself that I'm worth being here, you know? However, um, it's easy to forget that at all times we are doing the activity that makes
3: each of us incredibly valuable. and I don't know how radical this is to say, but this is just what I believe. Um, just just being alive.
2: Just breathing. I really believe that that's the only activity you really need to do in order to... Um, there's not really anything you have to do to have that worth. That's that's what buddha nature means, you know. That just being alive. So, I'm going to claim that none of the actions that I uh I just rattled off here are the cause for your dignity or the cause for my dignity. That just being alive itself is the root of dignity for each of us. So that's nice. <laughs> that's a fun of that's a fundamental truth, I, I I say. But uh
3: we do have to choose what to do and what not to do. This is not this is not a this is not news to any of us. We wake up every day and we have to make choices about what we're gonna do and what we're not gonna do. That's it's what life is, you know. Uh, we, we do live in the conventional world. Even in the pandemic, it's still the conventional world. It's, it's a different kind of conventional world, but that's what it is. So that means we have to choose what we do and what we don't do as
2: moments pass. So what do we do? how do we keep that balance of keeping in mind that just being alive is dignity, but also what choices are we going to make today?
3: You know, are we going to be making choices about the long haul? Is it, or are we just going to be focusing on today? Is it just live for today, you know, or is it, are we going to make a plan to get something done a month from now, a year
2: from now, 10 years from now? Well, I think the short answer is that uh, we each do what's helpful and what's an expression of of you, whoever you are, you know.
3: That's, um, that is an aspect of Sangha that, uh, I will never, ever, ever get tired of is that every one of us in, you know, in the conventional Sangha at Ancient Dragon, as well as the larger Sangha of All Beings, uh, is is unique and is is manifesting Buddha in a unique way and has something to teach you, something to teach me. You know, we can go through every day of our lives and there's somebody's somebody's got something everybody's got everything to to to
2: offer you know
3: uh so life has infinite variety and each one of us in that has something distinct to offer something distinct to teach so you can say sure okay that's fine that's great but I don't know what's helpful and what's an authentic expression of myself. So now what do I do? You know? It's nice to hear, but I don't know what's really helpful and I don't know what an authentic expression of myself really is.
2: That's a really good question. And um I'm going to
3: claim that when we're each faced with that question, which I think probably each of us in this virtual room has faced, that
2: it's a good time for Zazen, which we just did. What comes up in Zazen then?
3: So uh, here we, uh, we, we talk about the cooperation of focus and spaciousness in zazen
2: there's a there's a focus in meditative awareness. We notice how we breathe We notice our distractions, our thoughts, our regrets, our discomfort. Our settledness, our inner dignity, there's a sense of that somewhere that you're just, even when you're uncomfortable, even then you're still abiding in something very deep. You get a sense, it's a a perception uh, occasionally of the background activity, the big process that we're a part of the the universal context. Um, and that's
3: the expansion into the spaciousness in Zazen. So they're not, they're, they're, I don't know what to call it. It's not interwoven, but
2: maybe it is. They're not distinct. They're, well, I think later I'm going to make some sort of claim that they're, kind of a different way of looking at the same thing i guess but um abiding here
3: in that in that uh, meditation posture in zazen it's easier to study the self and get a sense of what's in our heart get a sense of what that role is of uh of what's what's
2: helpful what's an expression of you So it's this dynamic of focus
3: and spaciousness that I want to translate into um, everyday practical terms
2: uh, that, uh, about when we're in the world. So we could call this discipline and relaxation. How do, how do discipline and relaxation cooperate? In everyday practical life, and this is the question that's been on my mind recently. Um, you know, uh, I think for those of us that are lucky enough to have a steady
3: job through the pandemic, the the conception of the the nine to five, going into the office, logging into the computer, sitting at the desk punching out at the end of the day, it's not quite the same anymore. So how do you, how do you maintain settledness, but not let things get off the to-do list at the same time? You know that's, that's been something that's on my mind. So when I've got some time on my hands,
2: it's nice to relax for a moment. You know, and I try to give myself that, that it's okay to relax. I don't have to give myself something to do. There's nothing to do right now. But
3: usually after a few moments of this relaxation, I start thinking I've got to do something. I've got to, if, if I don't do something, then I won't, then it's the, you know, the thing from the beginning of I'm, if I don't do something, then I'm, I'm, I'm not worth anything. I don't deserve to have this job or, You know, I I don't. If I'm, if I'm just, I have to do something in order to uh, make that,
2: make that worth real. But
3: then, when I'm working really hard, and I'm, and I'm really focusing on completing a task, uh, sometimes I think, and this isn't just about you know a job. This is about anything that I'm really focusing on. Get kind of um, throwing a lot of my. Potential energy into. I'll think, why am I doing this in particular? Why am I doing this right now? Why am I doing this again? You know, I've done lots of things in my life. And every time I did them, I usually thought they were worthwhile. But right after, right after I'm done doing it, I still always feel like this peace of mind that I'm looking for is just over there. When I thought that I was doing the thing now for that peace of mind to be here, but then
2: I'm done with it and it's still over there. Um, but then the question is, well, what if I'm just, what if this is, what if I'm deluded? What if the peace of mind is here and I just want it to be somewhere else because
3: I like wanting things. I think it, that's pretty close to the the first noble truth, you know, like, uh, People people like to want things. People we get attached to our suffering. That's you know, it's it's easier because we because that's our conditioning to be in the hamster wheel and just clock, you know, trying to get get to the top of the hamster wheel. But I don't know if you've ever watched a hamster. He never gets to the top of the hamster
2: wheel. So um So I
3: can't, I can't just be completely focused, you know, uh, and have there be no dimension of spaciousness, uh, in, in my,
2: in, in mind. I can, but
3: I feel like it always leads me to feeling like the peace of mind I'm looking for is over there somewhere else. If I lose sight of that background awareness.
2: So. Reality, you know, the way is unfolding right here. Somebody said that. Probably some of you know who said that. Here, the way is unfolding right now at all times, no matter what. And then the exciting question I get sometimes is,
3: what what if I could make choices that arose from having that truth in mind like what are the choices I make in life
2: when I'm making them rooted in the
3: way is unfolding right now that I don't have to be somewhere else that home doesn't have to be somewhere else wherever I am what if I make choices
2: rooted from that what does my life look like then that to me is the most exciting question that I've ever been able to come up with So that's the function of, I think, of discipline and relaxation, working together. And physically, um, this 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 is embodied when we sit. We sit upright, and this uprightness
3: allows the relaxation of sitting to be embodied in us you'll you'll notice if you've sat in zazen for any length of time that if you if you have a stable meditation posture or if you're in a stable meditation posture it's probably a better way of saying it that it's easier to relax because
2: you have that that um that uprightness to rely on makes that relaxation possible and when we sit also, we're relaxed. And that relaxation makes it possible to sustain the uprightness in our posture. So when we're, when we're not sitting, we uh,
3: cultivate discipline in doing what needs to be done. I think this is what this looks like when we're not in sitting meditation. And the background of relaxation makes that discipline sustainable.
2: And when, we're, we, can, when we can completely relax when we're not sitting, there's still a background of discipline that makes that relaxation complete. we're able to to trust ourselves that we are able and capable to do what needs to be done when it's time to do it
3: it'll be okay to relax completely and then it is okay to relax completely because you trust yourself to do what needs to be done when it's time to do it
2: so this uh this takes some practice. This, this takes some faith in ourselves. And sometimes we don't know what it's time to do. So we wait. And we practice patience. We like to call it here an active patience until um, it becomes a little bit clearer about what it's time to do. And uh, and to be honest, this is
3: a, kind of where I'm at right now, personally, where uh, I feel like there is some project that I'm about to do or that I that's just it's coming up, you know, and it's just on the other side. It's around the corner, and I'm, I'm just sort of sitting waiting to discover what this project is going to be, you know. Uh, and I'm trying to remind myself that it won't be because of that project that I'll be a
2: useful person. Just being is useful. So I'll dig into each of these words, discipline and relaxation, a little bit deeper now. So discipline. Discipline means you're not lazy, but you're also not working too hard because that's not sustainable. You're you're not overindulgent to the point of exhaustion. You're sustainable, which means you're focused. And it's structured. You know, there's a structure that works for you, you trust. So that's the side of discipline. And there's the side of relaxation. And relaxation means not working too hard. but also not really being lazy. You know, you've you've probably felt the difference between when you're being lazy and when you're being relaxed. So relaxation means not working too hard, but not lazy. And, you know, not overindulgent, right? Like if you're too relaxed, you're not relaxed anymore because you're being too relaxed. So it's not overindulgent to the point of being unhealthy, and it's sustainable. You know, you sustain the relaxation. You're focused on cultivating that that relaxation, so there's an element of focus there.
3: And it's and it's structured. You know, there's there's moments of structured relaxation. You know, I'm, I watch Western movies on Sunday nights. In the evening, I make dinner with my partner,
2: you know. I uh, I play a game in the morning with my friends. Did anybody notice that I defined discipline and relaxation with the same way? Yeah, okay, cool. I wasn't too sneaky. That was pretty obvious. Okay. So. Um, You know, this
3: all reminds me of the Grateful Dead, actually. Um, so they they built the whole premise of the band on the principle that
2: it's impossible to play the same song twice. You know, uh, there's the conditions are always constantly changing. Right. So you could play Eyes of the World. A
3: hundred times, 200 times, 300 times, 400 times, and they did. And each time they were open to it being a new song.
2: Is it, is it a new song? Is it the same song? I would say yes and yes. They would probably say yes and yes. Is it the same song in a new form? Well, it depends on how you look
3: at it. And if we merge this song into the into this other song, if we go, you know, if, if Eyes of the World turns into Estimated Profit, is that a new song or are there two parts of is are, are the two of them together a new song or is it two songs that just meld into each other
2: so having this balance of structure and formlessness it's that's
3: always the case but but they built in the 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 the, the, the blueprint of the band was that's always the case so every time
2: The music is playing us it's always new you know so you know
3: if if you're and if you're improvising the song every time who's really the composer who does the song belong to does it belong to the audience then does it belong to the band does it belong to the person that wrote it that the version that's on the album
2: uh does it mean that the song has no composer that it's just its own living thing now. It's interesting things to think about. Things that go through my mind when I'm listening to their songs. But that's the process of creativity. You may have heard this one before, but reality constantly flows. So how am I doing for time? Or in time? With time? How does time work again? How much time do I have left? I think we usually go for
0: Q&A at 8.45, so we know before that.
3: Okay. Didn't didn't Dogen say we are time or something? Isn't that the... Time,
2: um, time
4: is us.
3: Yeah, right? So then if that's the case, here's a question. If there were no humans, would there be time? If we've constructed time, how could we deconstruct time? Or did we construct time? Or how about would there be a self without time? Or beyond time? So there's lots of possibilities when Discipline and relaxation are working together. Uh, Maybe something new will arise. Maybe one of the meanings of your life will show up. And then maybe someday it'll go away. Or it'll disappear and you won't recognize the form anymore. It'll have some other form. Uh... I, I hope this is making sense. I don't I haven't had a ton of experience doing this t- kind of thing. So I just decided to riff on this. Um but I think that's that's okay cause, like as I was thinking of um you know many years ago I had the discipline to learn how to walk but now I walk without thinking about it. When did I learn how to breathe? How how did I learn how to breathe? So I'm going to finish with a reading selection here. And hopefully this will still have enough time for questions and comments. After lunch, Levin was not in the same place, in a string of mowers as before, but stood between the old man who had accosted him jocosely, now invited him to be his neighbor, and a young peasant, who had only been married in the autumn, and who was mowing this summer for the first time. The old man, holding himself erect, moved in front, with his feet turned out, taking long, regular strides. And with a precise and regular action which seemed to cost him no more effort than swinging one's arms and walking as though it were in play, he laid down the high, even row of grass. It was as though it was as though it were not he but the sharp scythe of itself swishing through the juicy grass behind Levin came the lad Mishka, his pretty boyish face with a twist of fresh grass bound round his hair was all working with effort. But whenever anyone looked at him, he smiled. He would clearly have died sooner than own it was hard work for him. The oven kept between them. In the very heat of the day, the mowing did not seem much hard work to him, such hard work to him. The perspiration with which he was drenched cooled him while the sun that burned his back, his head and his arms, bare to the elbow, gave a vigor and dogged energy to his labor. And more and more often now came these moments of unconsciousness. When it was possible not to think what one was doing. The scythe cut of itself. These were happy moments. Still more delightful were the moments when they reached the stream where the rose ended and the old man rubbed his scythe with the wet thick grass rinsed its blade in the fresh water of the stream, ladled out a little in a tin dipper, and offered Levin a drink. What do you say to some of my homebrew, eh? Good, eh? said he, winking. And truly, Levin had never drunk any liquor so good as this warm water with green bits floating in it and a taste of rust from the tin dipper. And immediately after this came the delicious slow saunter with his hand on the side, during which he could wipe away the streaming sweat, take deep breaths of air, and look about at the long string of mowers and at what was happening around in the forest and the country. The longer Levin mowed, the oftener he felt the moments of unconsciousness, in which it seemed not his hands that swung the scythe, but the scythe moving, mowing of itself, a body full of life and consciousness of its own, and as though by magic, without thinking of it, the work turned out regular and well finished of itself. These were the most blissful moments. It was only hard work when he had to break off the motion, which had become unconscious and to think, which he had to mow, when he had to mow round a hillock or a tuft of searle. The old man did this easily. When a hillock came he changed his action, and at one time with the heel and at another with the tip of his scythe. Clipped the hillock round both sides with short strokes, and while he did this, he kept looking about and watching what came into view. At one moment, he picked a wild berry and ate it, or offered it to Levin. Then he flung away a twig with the blade of his scythe, then he looked at a quail's nest from which the bird flew just under the scythe, or caught a snake that crossed his path and lifting it on the scythe as though on a fork, showed it to oven and threw it away. For both Levin and the young peasant behind him, such changes of position were difficult. Both of them, repeating over and over and over again the same strained movement, were in a perfect frenzy of toil and were incapable of shifting their position and at the same time watching what was before them. Levin did not notice how time was passing. If he had been asked how long he had been working, he would have said half an hour, and it was getting on for dinner time. As they were walking back over the cut grass, the old man called Levin's attention to the little girls and boys who were coming from different directions, hardly visible through the long grass, and along the road toward the mowers, carrying sacks of bread dragging at their little hands and pitchers of the sour rye beer with cloths wrapped around them. Looky, the little Emmett's crawling,' he said, pointing to them. And he shaded his eyes with his hand to look at the sun. They mowed two more rows. The old man stopped." Come, Master Dinner-time, he said briskly, and on reaching the stream, the mowers moved off the lines cut of, moved off across the lines of cut grass towards their pile of coats, where the children who had pr- brought their dinners were sitting waiting for them. The peasants gathered into groups, those further away under a cart, those nearer under a willow brush. Levin sat down beside them, he felt disinclined to go away all constraint with the master had disappeared had disappeared long ago. The peasants got ready for dinner. Some washed, the young lads bathed in a stream. Others made a place comfortable for rest, untied their sacks of bread and uncovered the pitchers, pitchers of rye beer. The old man crumbled up some bread in a cup, stirred it with the handle of a spoon, poured water on it from the dipper, broke up some more bread and having seasoned it with salt, he turned to the east to say his prayer. So hopefully we have time for discussion, if you guys would like. okay.
1: Hey Dylan, um, I was wondering what you thought about John Mayer being in The Grateful Dead.
3: That's a great question. Um, I was expecting, so technically he's in Dead and Company, which is the the current touring band of of The Grateful Dead with most of the surviving members. Um, I was was, uh, skeptical, highly skeptical about it. Um, but, uh, he works incredibly well in that, in that group. Um, I think it's, uh, he, he, the, he does a very good job of, uh, playing, playing in that, um, universe without it, making it about him, you know, but still adding a distinctive voice to it but he knows that he's doing something bigger than John Mayer, you know? So I've been very pleasantly surprised. And uh, I actually, I got, that was my first dead show was seeing him with dead and company uh, last summer back in the before times. So um, I think he's doing a great job. And, uh, and I'm, I think he's, uh, he's a qualified dead messenger. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
0: Go ahead David has his hand up,
5: thank you for that talk, Dylan. I really appreciated it um, near the beginning, you were talking about um, self worth and the question you know of what 's my worth? Do I have to do something in order to to have worth um, and And you talked about the thought that just being alive is 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 um, sufficient to be worthy um so I'm wondering about this question of of worthiness. Like, do you think it's um, um, I can't think of other instances in in, um, in in dharma when, when I've heard talk about worth. And so I'm wondering, is it, is it? Do you think it's um? Do you think the whole question is delusion? Like, you know, the, the is is it maybe a particular you know? It may, is it like attached to late capitalist experience that you know that it, it's 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 um or maybe we're conditioned to have this thought that there's something I need to do or something I need to get. So is, is it delusion? Is it useful? Or maybe it's attached to a, you know, to a bodhisattva sense of, of helping other people. But, but see there I'm like, well, wait, I, I I think the bodhisattva helps other people not to, not to feel the self-satisfaction of, of, of self-worth, but, but in order to help other people. So I'd love to hear more about what you think about the whole worth question.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's also a, a great, a great question. Um, you're right. Uh, now that I think about it, I I haven't really heard a lot about the concepts of worth and much of the Buddhist material that I've, I've encountered. Um, I think that's uh, I think it's in this talk because of my own baggage. <laughs> um, but I don't think it's a unique baggage to me. Uh, so, Um, that's interesting. There's, there's, there's potentially a chicken and the egg scenario with this, where I think I'm the, the first instinct is to say, yes, it's because of late capitalism that we feel like we're inadequate and that our job gives us meaning or something. But I think deeper than that, I think just, you know, the, the economy has always for the most part has always worked like that, you know, that that's, that that's an expression of, uh, uh, the, the desire for, um, for there to be a meaning to get, you know, to obtain Um, and there is work that is meaningful. I think that, that doesn't um, that, that doesn't um, so this goes to the question of, you know, right livelihood. What's a good job, (laughs) you know, Um, and that's, I think that's tougher now, um, in America than it's ever been before potentially, but, um, I think on, uh, on the deepest level that I, I don't, I don't think it's just about what job you have, uh, that, that maybe we're, I mean, unless someone can tell me different. You know, I would I would be really interested to hear someone has a different experience than this. But maybe we're each born with this sort of um, fear or feeling that that you know the meaning of our lives is um, in jeopardy or has to has to be has to be obtained somewhere. Um, um, and I think it's that question or a, a, a version of that question that prompted Shakyamuni Buddha to go abandon the temple, you know, um, or his abandoned, his, not abandon the temple, a, a leave his, leave his kingdom and go under the Bodhi tree and uh, sit, sit it out, you know. Uh, but I think that's, that's one of the most courageous tasks that any person can do, I think, is have the courage to uh, be in Zazen and, and, and um, uh, let whatever comes up come up, not run away from it, and uh, work on being ready for the meaning of their lives to be right here, you know, rather than somewhere else. Cause that's hard.
0: Um, I'd like to stay on the, the, the worthy. Um, reflections and, and the place that I, that came up for me as you were speaking about that and, and it comes up for me in the practice is the meal chant and just the first two lines of the meal chant of, we reflect on the effort that brought us this food and consider how it comes to us. We reflect on our virtue and practice and whether we are worthy of this offering, which being a person who has had issues with, you know, what gives me worth, what gives me, where is self-worth? That's always been kind of a thing that I can slip on. Um, what do you think about the quality of
2: our virtue and practice that would make us worthy of our food hmm
3: for me uh when i when i i love the meal chant um that's one of that's one of the few parts of Zen practice that I feel comfortable like bringing into my family life. Like when I'm, uh, you know, uh, when I'm back home in Massachusetts, like if I, if I sit down to dinner with everybody in the family that like, you know, that's, I feel comfortable having that be operated as some sort of grace for us at the table and not starting an argument about God or something, you know? Um, and when it comes to that line about whether we are worthy of this offering, um, what that evokes in me is 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 more about uh uh you were I don't know if you ever so, do you remember the um the han at, at the ancient dragon temple co I know you were only there once um or twice I but do it, okay so it had something written on it which was um, essentially don't waste time, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: you know? Uh, And that's, that's what comes up for me when I hear that line about whether we are worthy of this offering is, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks that, that could be getting this food, probably folks that might need it more than me, you know? So it's, it's not a question of um, worth in terms of inherent worth. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I do assert that there's nothing that needs to be done for us to be worth our lives. But for me, I think that, that sentence is about, are you are you being conscious of not uh, of of not wasting time you know like if if you're going to accept the great gift of this food w- what are you doing with your practice um and that's what that makes me think of
0: On a um, related note, uh, you use the word useful, Um, and I, uh, just being who I am, have to get argumentative about it. Um, Not really. I I know.
3: No, I know. I I know.
0: Yeah. It's contractually (laughs) obligated in our friendship that I give you a hard time. well, you said you don't, you don't have to um, just existing uh, makes you useful. I believe was what, what you said. Don't, don't allow me to misquote you if that's incorrect. Um,
3: I said just being is useful.
0: Thank you. But I'd always heard that for instance, Sazen was good for nothing, right? Does that, mean that that's that it's not useful um but is it helpful to think of it as a useful tool or is it just what you do is is just being being useful or is just being just being i'm curious about the use of useful because it implies that you're good for some specific thing outside of yourself you're being you're a a use right things are used to do things.
3: It would be more fun to just let, let like, just be, be like, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> um, um, uh, mysterious, you know, about it. I think that's a very popular Zen thing to do is just, like, respond to that question where, like, you know, uh, a very short, kind uh, of like, well, what does just being mean? You know, um, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm going to do something else, <laughs> uh, or try to. Um, I think the most honest and and mm-hmm. deepest answer I can give to that is, I I don't know how to, to really define Zazen, really uh I think for me, the more i quote and quote do zazen uh that what it is gets uh, more beyond it, uh what whatever um, um I thought it was you know or maybe it is whatever I don't think it is so um so you're asking about usefulness. So I think what 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 I would say is um I don't know uh I, I conventionally we do Zazen. We we come to the Zendo, we bow we bow to each other, we bow to the seat, we sit. And conventionally we do that, but um but uh zazen is um is uh man okay i'll i'll bite and just try to define it like that 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 uh it's it is the big process period you know uh and so that question about usefulness And maybe i'm just restating what i said earlier in the talk but uh i believe that when when you're focusing in zazen on that uh that activity of focusness and spaciousness that that allows you that allows it to be easier to be useful um that uh that um kind of going back to ko's question about you know doing things um or no david rays question about uh you know doing things for about a like doing the bodhisattva way to help others uh that you know that there's a um abiding in zazen that there's a a deep sense that's available that we're in this together to use a, a conventional phrase for it in a, in a very deep way that's beyond words and that when that when that feeling is rooted in your heart that, um, it's easier to be, to, to act in a useful way that you're, you always are, you always are useful, but, but the, um, it's, it's, um, it's less uncomfortable to trust that, uh, in your, in how you decide on what to do with your life on a day-to-day basis.
0: I guess my follow-up there would be useful for what?
3: Well, the uni- the liberation of all beings, of course. You know, uni- universal liberation. The of end course. of suffering. Complete complete Sambhogakaya Kaya uh, enlightenment, right? But I mean in a more practical sense, just for there to for, for life to hurt a little less. I'm fine with that. You know? Like if at the end of the day, if that's what I was able to help with is just that life hurt a little bit less. That's enough for me.
4: This is a great discussion. I'm a little hesitant to jump in, but just reflecting on um, worth, and I think of value and virtue, and but also the uh, uh, way's question about usefulness or what you brought up. Uh on some level that's always happening. There's always some function, there's always some effect to every action and thought and feeling and and words. So we live in the in a world of cause and effect on one level. Um, but I wanted to throw in to the discussion you were just having about usefulness uh, and you kind of you kind of uh, expressed it, Dylan, but uh intention we're always useful for something, but then we can decide, oh, we want to save all all living beings or we want to take care of this or that situation so um, there's always some function, and um, how we see it. You know, I loved your talk, Dylan. I mean, every, everything you said. Uh, but all, but just to add to it, how we see it is important. I didn't mean to close down the discussion, but maybe it is time to do our 40 Santo vows.
0: Sure, unless um, last call someone has a a final statement, I will. um, Actually, Chris just raised his hand, so maybe we can uh, see what he has to say first. Thank you. Thank you, Dylan. I guess uh, also bringing up definitions oddly enough in talking about worth and usefulness
3: the one word that was kind of popping into my head was merit and I suppose um if we're talking about I think we I think we've already elaborated a lot on perhaps what is usefulness, or at least got our foot in the door, our foots in the door there. I guess how does discipline and relaxation, you know, where does merit fit into all of that? And if that, if that discussion is ultimately reiterative of what we said of usefulness, I guess this is just another way of asking that question. That is a great question, Chris Carlozzo. One that has been asked by many uh Zen Zen students over thousands of years. Um, a merit is a very tricky word um for me. Uh um Uh, And, and, but I, I'm going to combine, I I don't know which poem these are from, but, but I, but the, the phrases are in my head. So these are, you'll, you'll find something close to this in some of the poems that we chant here at the temple. But the closest I can answer to that is that if there is merit to actions that it doesn't belong to you, you know, uh, that, that, um, that the that merit is manifested in 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 peacefulness and harmony that that's that's the that's the expression of it in in life that it doesn't really belong to you or to anybody but like when when there is harmony when there's good friendship um when people are uh working on how to communicate with each other that that's the expression of the merit of practice. That's the best I got on that. It's close to what some of the stuff that's in the
0: the chance. Um, well, thank you, Dylan, for the talk and everyone for the discussion. Uh, I think we can now do the bodhisattva vows, um, I will put those words on the screen for whoever will find them useful.
1: Beings are numberless, I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them, dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them, Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it, beings are numberless. I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them, Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them, Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it, beings are numberless, I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them, Dharma gates are boundless, i vow to enter them buddha's way is unsurpassable i vow to realize it